This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Welcome to Higher Ed Heroes. My name is Seb. And my name's Al. This podcast is about transformative moments in the classroom. We believe these moments, when we bring our classrooms to life, can really be achieved by making small changes that are easy to adopt. And that's our focus. Small things communicated in simple ways by wonderful teachers who know that these practices have made a difference in their classroom. And so we hope that you will listen to what these great teachers have to say, reflect upon their practices, and perhaps think about whether it might work in your own classroom. And because we know you guys are busy and time poor, we always want to communicate these lessons in a jargon-free way. And that's why we have our buzzer. The teaching jargon buzzer gets hit when we hear those buzzwords that might be more at home in a teaching committee or faculty meeting. No! No, 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 no. So, Seb, let's introduce this week's guest. Thank you, absolutely, and with absolutely great delight. Our guest today is Dr. Sorel Gronum, originally from South Africa. He is an absolute powerhouse in the lecture theater, and I've seen him in action, believe me. Sorel is senior lecturer in innovation in the business school here at UQ, researching in the areas of firm growth and performance, innovation network practices, and business model innovation. Sorel, welcome. Thank you, Seb. What you do in your MBA course on business innovation, Sorel, is you mimic the real world of consulting. So your students for a week or two attend the lecture, but then you immediately throw them into the real world of consulting. There's so much here that we'd like to talk about, but maybe let's start with having you talk us through how your students go through this course. This is an innovation leadership course for MBA students that are delivered in a multitude of modes. So there's a shortened, condensed mode for our full-time students, and then we've got the part-time mode, which stretch over a whole semester or weekend mode. So there's a number of modes there. In this course, about six years ago, I've introduced much more project work. And I realized very quickly that you need to speak to your cohorts. Who is sitting in front of you and what are the learning outcomes that they require to get out of it? And what I've realized also was that a lot of those students were recruited by the big consulting firms while they were still studying with us. The next thing was then, how do I redesign the project experience that I have in this particular course to also speak to that lack of consulting experience that a lot of them have? They do have project experience, but not management consulting experience. And the way I do that is by throwing them into an actual wicked problem with a multitude of potential projects that they can work on and do a mutual matching between the industry partners, so the business owners or senior managers, and the students themselves. The industry partners come in and do a short pitch of their project and also indicating the support that they will be offering these students. And it runs over about a three-week period that they engage in this. There's a fair you organize uh, very early on in the first or second first week, day. first day. The 
various real world industry business partners, they come in, they say, hey, we want to have expertise consultants on these topics. The students then meet and greet them and they kind of vote and, kind of, and then you match them up and then they go out into this business to try and work and Absolutely. present the next a solution day. to that and do this over a number yes. of weeks. So the class um, basically runs uh, three full days per week with a week in the middle. So it's three weeks. So it's three days of classes, one, way, uh, one week where they work exclusively on the project and another week with three classes and presentations at the end of that. So what I normally do is I bring in a mix of industry partners purposefully selected for that purpose. So I always bring in an NGO uh, or a non-for-profit business. I also bring in a corporate, so one of the bigger banks or uh, resource um, um, mining companies, as well as small businesses. The challenges needs to be of such a nature that the students can apply the innovation strategy knowledge and tools that they pick up during the course to this particular project environment. And this is where the consulting part comes in, is I'm really hands off and the students hate me for it during the course because they used to being spoon fed. So the first thing that they need to do within three days is get a scoping agreement on the table. They need to consult and negotiate with their client on the deliverables. So I do give them a little bit of guidance if I believe that the scope is blowing out. Also negotiating, you know, and, and, and managing difficult clients because a lot of the clients that I bring in are entrepreneurs and they're not easy customers to deal with. And a lot of them actually just want confirmation of their decision that they've already made. It seems incredibly it will be incredibly challenging. You're 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 asking students to be right in the real world to deal with relationships on a sophisticated level, yep. yeah, to do business, basically. They, and you said they, they hate you sometimes. It must be challenging. Depending on their backgrounds, some students are better equipped to deal with ambiguity. And that's one of the big reasons in managing innovation is being comfortable with ambiguity, being comfortable with not knowing, you know, uh, we're not searching for optimal solutions. We're su searching for good enough solutions that are quickly validated or, or rather invalidated. What works well is that having a competitive bidding process from my industry partners also ensure their commitment. So I never tell them that I'm going to give you a student team. It all depends on how they present at the beginning. So if not enough students say that we would love to work on this particular project, then that project is not being resourced. You're incentivizing the partner, the, the, the industry people. You're, you're, you're not kind of uh, beholden to them. You're, Absolutely. You're, they really want these students. Absolutely, because look, there's a lot of legal issues when you start asking them for money. If you do not invest anything, your commitment is not ensured. But if you, if, if you find ways of getting the industry partners to invest, then they put a higher value to that commitment. And, and that's that initial part. You know? So they have to you know, really pitch well to the students. I give them adequate guidelines in terms of what they need to cover. And those industry partners, not only do they first pitch to the students in your classroom, they all come to uni, students then go and work with them as consultants, but also once that has ended, students then present their suggestions as consultants 
back to the consultants, but they all come back into your classroom, right? So that yes. other students can see what their, yes. their peers have done. Yes. Right? So, so what happens also, and something that I, that I neglected to say, all of the students sign a non-disclosure agreement at the beginning for each partner that is presenting there. So it may happen in exceptional circumstances where students do have conflicts of interest and they will then excuse themselves from any discussions about that particular industry partner at any time during the progress of the course. So that gives the industry partners also more um, willingness to open the books up, you know, to allow the students to actually mine existing data or whatever the, the nature of the innovation dilemma is that they try to solve. Industry partners need to get something out of it and they get it in, in the following way. So they get a presentation, which is a preliminary presentation at the end of the course where the teams then come back and provide preliminary findings and recommendations. This is also a good time for the industry partner to give feedback in terms of, are we happy? Have you really, you know, delivered on the agreed upon deliverables? And what are the aspects that I think you should not spend too much time on or where this focus should be for your final report? The students then have a week after that to finalize the actual report. There's two weeks where they really intensively work on the actual projects. It's in that middle week and uh, one week after the conclusion of the last class. The most important thing is for them to get out and actually speak to real people. A lot of these students are freshly international arrivals into Australia and they don't have any networks. By them then speaking to CEOs of ASX, which is the Australian Security Exchange 200 largest company, they, they actually meet people. They have an opportunity to present and one of the greatest outcomes is that a number of my students have been employed by these companies. There's tangible benefits um, for the students as well in terms of employability outcomes. Mm. And in terms of assessment, is it the presentation and the report that they're assessed on? As well as the reflection piece. So in the reflection piece, that is where I test the consulting outcomes. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how they dealt with issues in managing the team of consultants, in managing the client relationship, in managing adversity basically how did you how did you deal with these things how did you devise strategies and and also self-learning in terms of is this for you because one of the best outcomes is to for them to realize that i'm not a consultant i hate it you know i would rather continue my trajectory in in, in engineering and in all of our innovation entrepreneurship teaching we don't try to convince students to become entrepreneurs or innovators we actually want to discourage them if you do not have what it takes to be successful in this environment, I, I would rather discourage them. As one of my previous students said, Sarl, you never told me. Doing a startup is like going for root canal treatment on a daily basis. <laughs> I make a point of it. I want to harken back here to something you alluded to earlier, like your students, you once said to me, are experiencing this course in the way that you would experience trench warfare and that they hate you for this. And so I want to just go away from the zoom out from the content of the course a bit more on like you as a teacher. So like how do you react when when students struggle and and what's the reasoning behind that? I had some students that really have, you know, adverse 
um, reactions to the lack of guidance from my side. Let me give you one simple example. I had an engineering student that was highly upset that he needed to go and identify CEOs of companies to speak to, to test the hypothesis. Why can I not provide him with names of my contacts? And I said, that's not the learning here. You have to go out. Here's a list. Contact them. Phone them. And what I did was just put up a mirror to him and let him verbalize his critique and then at the same token show him why that he's, he's actually arguing for that structure because it's his uncomfortableness with ambiguity that I am trying to expose. And then I'm giving them guidance, but I'm forcing them to get out of their comfort zone. So in the end, the next day, I then asked him, how many appointments did you secure? And he said five with the MDs of the 200 top companies in Australia. So, and, and, and that's really, you know, important. With regards to the trench warfare, in the MBAs, we tend to teach students conventional strategic management. And in innovation leadership, you know, if you want to change the rules of the game, you cannot do what the others are doing. And that is conventionally strategic planning. Guerrilla warfare is by validating and invalidating assumptions and executing while you are planning, which is completely divorced from the old conventional warfare style. And you need, therefore, a different posture as well, an attitude. In terms of the, the scale of the challenge, I mean, it sounds an amazing course. You know, just the level of teaching, the engagement, the reality, everything you put into it, it must take a lot of time. There's a lot of costs. If you were sitting here listening and you thought, well, maybe I can't do all of that, but I can do something or I can do a little bit, what would you boil it all down to if you were to sit there with a new lecturer who's thinking about teaching innovation in this entrepreneurial space? What would you say, look, this is what you need to do. What would be the essence? Start small. Build on your personal networks because it's important to have good relations with your industry partners. In the past, until COVID hit, I have purposefully rotated all of my projects on an annual basis. I never did any project twice. Um, it would just work better during COVID with all the uncertainty to use one or two industry partners that are corporates because there's huge uncertainties. But what I would propose is start with one industry partner or two industry partners. Really build up good relationships, build up your network so that you have diversity in that. There's also learning for the industry partners in this. You must remember that you basically, this is a dual-sided platform, if I can use the terminology, the business model terminology, in that you need to build in adequate value for the industry partner as well as the students and always balance out that asymmetry that can sometimes exist between the industry partner wanting everything and not necessarily wanting those aspects that would benefit learning from the students uh, or maximize learning from the students. So, so it's really balancing that out. Start small. Start with one industry partner. Build from there. And, and, and you as a lecturer also get more comfortable in dealing with high caliber 
business entrepreneurs and innovators. One industry project and then move it uh, further from there or broaden it, diversify it from there. Sorel, this was very rich and such an interesting world in which you teach, bringing the real world into the university and the university into the real world whilst trying to kind of hold the four together. So thank you so much for joining us here. If you as listeners liked what you heard and would like to engage further, you can always get in touch with us via social media and you can certainly find Sarel's contacts as well. Thanks for joining us in Higher Ed Heroes. And as always, we look forward to your company again.